morning, everybody. My name's Scott. Um, the scripture today is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pots that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends." But when, his son, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, thank you for another glorious week. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come and gather together and to worship you. Lord, I thank you for, for all the people that have come today to, to be part of this family. Lord, I pray that you would uh, come down in the middle of us and anoint this message, Lord, that your spirit would move and that the words that Tim brings would be anointed by you. And I just thank you so much for the way that you love us and everything that you have done for us and for your son dying on the cross. In Jesus' name. Man, Thanks, Scott. You guys can take a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, uh, welcome. If you're not new, welcome back. We are continuing our series in the book of Luke, kind of topically looking at encounters Jesus has with different people. This morning, we're looking at Jesus and the lost. Jesus and the lost. And there's really different kinds of lost. I know when I was young, I would uh, sleepwalk. And uh, so one night, my dad came to find me in my bed and I wasn't there. And so he began to look around the house and look in different rooms and different places in the house and see if I was there and I wasn't there either. And at one point my dad kind of freaked out a little bit 
and somehow was aware enough to go into the garage to open our car and to find me in the back seat of the car laying down fast asleep. My dad found me. Uh, but I was lost accidentally there. I've been lost on purpose as well. I remember I was in high school and my friends and I gathered this plan and devised this plan to get out of class, our TV lab class, uh, to get out of that class but because somebody else would write us a doctor's note and they would come and get me out. It was this great plan. We would go off and have a great time. And there's one thing I missed in this plan and it's that my mom was also a teacher at the high school. And so my TV lab teacher conferred with my mother and said, hey, you know, Tim had this doctor's appointment, and she put me on blast and said, no, Tim did not have a doctor's appointment. Um, that is not true. And my parents came and found me. So different kinds of lost, but the common thread is I was lost, but I was found. So this morning, we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells of a lost person being found. And to really understand that story, we, we need to know some backdrop. At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, Jesus is spending time with tax collectors and sinners, which, by the way, is a trend for Jesus. Like, if you've been with us through this series, you know that, that people that are in sin, sickness, and strife, they constantly approach Jesus. They flock towards him. And so this morning, if you're in the midst of sin, sickness, or strife, you're in the right place because we're going to talk about Jesus. And I hope you meet him if you don't already know him. If you do know him, I hope you engage him. The reason we gather as a church to talk about Jesus because that's where, we, um, that's where our sin, sickness, and strife meets him and he meets us in a powerful way. So Jesus is spending time with these tax collectors and sinners the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, they criticize him. And so Jesus proceeds to tell three stories of why God cares for the lost, why God pursues the lost, why he finds the lost. And so we're not going to look at all the stories. The first story is the story of a lost sheep. The second is a, a lost coin. And the third that Scott just read is the lost son. And so... We're going to dive into that story this morning. Luke 15, 11 through 16, we see that the son rebels. The son rebels. So there's this man who has two sons. The younger son does a deeply offensive thing. Verse 12, look at that verse. He says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. What he does there is ask for his inheritance. And rather than wait for his father's death, he asks for it as a Young man. Now, this would be offensive now, right? If you asked your father, say, it's going to be a long time till you die. Why don't you just go ahead and give me your things? Do you think your father would be a little bit frustrated with you? Yeah, it would be a little bit offensive, right? But even more so in that day, it was offensive in multiple ways. It was offensive relationally. He was basically saying, I don't want you, I just want your things, that I don't want to know you, I don't want a relationship with you, I just want what you can give me. It was offensive socially that in that culture, a father's glory was associated in what he was able to leave his son and how his son could carry that forward. And in this moment, as his son asked for his inheritance before its time, he's robbing his father of that glory. So it was offensive relationally, it was offensive socially, it was offensive nationally. He abandons his homeland for a far-off country to live without rules. It was a deeply insulting request. But even considering all of that, 
the Father grants it. Verse 12 says he divided his property between them. It's interesting, that word property in the original language is this word bios, which means life. So if you can picture it, the Father basically says, this is an insulting, offensive request, but I'm going to take all of my life, everything I've built, everything I've invested in, and I'm going to lay it before you, and I'm going to give you a piece of that before your time. The Father grants the request. The son, we think, is young because he was single, and verse 13 tells us he gathered everything his father had given him, everything he had, and he goes off to another country, and it says he squanders his property in reckless living. So basically he says, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to liquidate everything. I'm going to go off to college and go crazy. Right? The son is just abandoning everything he knows. He's saying, I've got what I need, and I'm going to go do what I want. But it doesn't go so well, right? Verses 14 through 16 tells us he spends everything. There's a famine in the land. He's so desperate, he ends up being a pig farmer. And he's envious that the pigs have more to eat than he does. Pigs were unclean animals for the Jew. So he's at a point of humiliation, not only socially, but religiously. This plan, this decision that he thought was so grand to take his inheritance and run completely backfires, and he finds himself in utter chaos. You see, there's two types of chaos in life. There was then and there is now. There's two types of chaos if you think about our life today. There's the inevitable chaos. And that's when your car breaks down. That's when you have messy relationships. That's when you get sick. I mean, those things are just going to happen whether you want them to or not. And you really can't do anything about it. But there's also invited chaos, right? These are the decisions that you make that you think, you know what, I don't think this is in my best interest long term and other people's interest long term, but I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to do it now because it feels right. It's those moments where you choose rebelliousness over righteousness, where you say, I'm going to go my way because my way is better than God's way, and you invite chaos into your life. And right about now, it's easy to think about a family member or a friend who does that, right? Maybe some of you are thinking about, I know that guy. I know that guy who invites chaos in his life or her life. And it's easy for me to think about that. I know I had a friend uh, from high school, and we went to college together, and we thought we were going to figure life out together. And so we go a little bit far off to college just to get away from home and figure things out and become men. And after the first semester, my friend dropped out of school, moved in with his girlfriend, and he began to invite chaos over and over and over into his life. And just a couple weeks ago, I got a phone call from some mutual friends that said his dad was looking for him and asked if I could help track him down. They heard he was in Las Vegas, homeless with his wife and baby. You, you know people like that. Maybe you're thinking of people like that. Maybe it's not that extreme, but you, you know people like that in your life, but while it's easy and right to think about those people, I want us to consider how we do that. How we take everything we want, void of God, and we invite chaos in our life. How do you do that? 
I imagine you would be thinking right now, like, well, I, Tim, I'm not as extreme as the prodigal son. I'm not as extreme as your friend. And you may not be, but there's little withdrawals that you take out here and there. Little withdrawals of success in your career. You say, I'm going to give everything I have to this. Void of God. Little withdrawals that you take in sex and substances where you say, I'm going to dive into those things and get as much pleasure as possible. Void of God. It's those ways financially where you say, I'm going to go into debt because I have a status, because I have a position in society that I want to be affirmed in. And it's going to be void of God. Those little things, those little withdrawals that you're taking here and there that you think will give you life. Some of you are in that place this morning. That maybe you're not full on running away from God in one specific area of your life. But all of these things combined, you're hoping that they'll give you life. Some of you are here this morning, you're saying, I've done that. And I'm coming to the realization that I'm still empty. I have all those things, but there's still something not right with me. And in that, we get some wisdom from the great philosopher of our day, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Even Jim Carrey got that. So I want you to ask yourself, even now, in the midst of the sermon, where am I looking for life instead of God? What are those little pieces of my life? Maybe some of you, big pieces of your life that you're running to, void of God. And you're saying, if I can get those things, then I'll have life. Just like the prodigal son said, hey, if I can just get my inheritance now, I'm gonna go off to this country, and then I will have life. What are those things for you? How are you rebelling against God. We need to ask ourselves that question. And once we do that, we need to respond. And so how do we respond? We see it in the next part of this story. We see that the son repents. Luke 15, 17 through 21, the son repents. So in verse 17, it says he came to himself. And I love that language. It's like for the first time he realizes who he is and who his father is. And he says, I gotta get out of here. And he begins to think about dad. He's in this pig farm in the mud with these pigs, and he thinks about his father who, who he knows takes care of his servants better than this. Like, How generous of a father do I have? Why did I leave that? Why did I make this decision? And as he realizes that, it prompts him to want to come home, and so he makes plans. Look at verse 18. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And you begin to see this perfect picture of repentance. He comes to the Father bearing nothing but his need. Notice he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame. He doesn't think like, well, Dad, if you would just given me more lessons on how to handle my finances, then maybe I wouldn't have ended up in this situation. Dad, if, if you just not given me the money, I mean, I'm a young kid. Like, what do I know? You didn't have to say yes to that. What were you thinking? You're the reason I'm in this spot. He could have looked at his life in that far off country and said, you know what? There's some people who cheated me and some people who did me wrong. 
and that's why I don't have anything. And if that hadn't happened, you know, I had a pretty good plan. This was a pretty good idea. It was other people that messed it up. He doesn't do any of that. He comes bearing nothing but his need. He repents. He says, I've pursued these things that I thought would bring me life. I'm confessing it as sin. I leave it behind in order to turn to you. That's repentance. And so as you think about the ways you rebel against God, there's a, there's a few ways to respond. There's continuing down that road. Maybe some of you have done this. Maybe some of you are doing it now. There's continuing down that road and thinking, I've gone too far to turn back now. So it's just easier to keep on trekking down that path. There's another response of making excuses, blaming other people. There's another response of when you realize in that moment that you have rebelled against God, that you want to prove yourself. I remember this was me. At one point in my life, I was distant from God. And as I looked at the landscape of my life, I just thought things aren't working out between me and God, and I went in a different direction. But God convicted me of that, and I came to a point of what I thought was repentance. And I just said, I was talking to a friend, and I just said, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to align myself with these people. I'm going to get this in order in my life. And I'm going to do that for the next few months. And I'm going to build up a rhythm. And I think at that point, then my relationship with God will be where it needs to be. And I remember this godly friend of mine just looked at me and listened graciously and finished that off with just saying, you know, it sounds like you're treating God like a contract instead of a covenant. It sounds like you're treating God like you're in a contract with him instead of a, a covenant with him. And that, that burned me because I began to see my life and look back on instances in my life where I was adding things on to an agreement with God. God, if I do this, if I go to church, if I go to this Bible study, if I align myself with these people or these moral values, that then you'll accept me and then you'll be pleased with me. And I was adding things on and some clauses in this contract that I hoped by God and his grace, somehow he would sign off on me. And I forgot that I was in covenant with God because of Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross for me in my place. And so the only response I could have was to bear my need before God to simply confess and to turn from him. And that's what the prodigal son does. He realizes that being a servant of the father is better than being a king of his own chaos. Maybe some of you are in that place this morning. If you're honest, maybe you've been in church for a while and you just think there's, a, there's some right words to say. There's a formula to this thing. If I just go to church four times this month, then I'll be good. You think if I just do these things today, then I'll, I'll be good. And those other wrong things I did will be erased and these good things will be put in the place of those things. You need to know that you're just spinning your wheel that what you need to do, and part of why we gather this morning, is we need to lay bare our need before God, simply confess and turn from our sin and turn to him. And that you can take that step this morning, and it's called repentance. Verse 20, we see how the father responds. 
It says, while he was still a long way off, the father feels compassion. Before the son can even get out his speech, notice the father runs, he embraces him, and he kisses him. Have you ever hugged a pig farmer? I I haven't. Um, But I did go to a petting zoo with my kids recently at a pumpkin patch. And they had all these kind of little sheep and goats, and they were all cute, and you could pet them, and they felt great, and it was nice to get around them. And then my kids saw these pigs, and they were like, Daddy, why don't you pet the pigs? And I'm like, because I don't want to. I mean, they stink. They're kind of pokey and, and like porcupiney. Like, I don't want to pet the pigs. You go pet the pigs. I mean, c- can you imagine the shape that this son was in? Lost everything he had, was in the mud with pigs. And his father runs to him and says, clean yourself off, man. You stink. No. He embraces him and he kisses him just as he is. As we talked about at the beginning, there's an audience listening to this story. The audience is tax collectors and sinners, but it's also scribes and Pharisees. And God, Jesus, is trying to illustrate why God cares for and pursues the lost. And so I don't know if you can imagine that, but the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, had to have been listening to this section of the story that his father felt compassion as he was a long way off. I mean, that wouldn't even compute. I mean, he hasn't even heard what his son's been doing yet. He hasn't even heard his repentance speech yet. You think about that? Maybe you've heard this story a lot. The father felt compassion as he was a long way off. He doesn't know whether he squandered his inheritance or multiplied his inheritance. He has no clue. And yet he feels compassion, not based on what he's done, but because of who he is. He's his father, and that's his son. And that's enough. That's enough for him to feel compassion, to run, to embrace, to kiss his son, and to receive his son. And some of you have wandered. Some of you are wondering now. You need to know if that's you this morning, if you honestly assess your life, and even if it's in little ways, you're wandering from God, you need to know that you're not too far off, that he sees you at whatever distance you are, and he has compassion, and he runs to you. He pursues you. He embraces you, and he receives you as your child through Jesus Christ. When we see that, when God sees that, it leads to restoration. And that's what we see next. Look at the text, verse 22. The father restores. It says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Notice he doesn't shame him. He doesn't just put up with him. No, he celebrates him. I mean, you just look at those verses, the best robe. He covers his dirtiness with his best. He puts a ring on his finger. That was a sign of dignity. He gives him shoes for his feet. He kills 
the fattened calf. That would have been reserved for a religious holiday or a holy day. They would be saving that up to celebrate with that, specifically for that day. And the father is saying, this is a holy day. Like it doesn't get any better than this. Someone who is dead is now alive. Someone who is lost has been found. And that's a reason to celebrate and throw a party. You know, honestly, if we looked at that story, we could just end there and the credits could roll, right? I mean, that's a beautiful picture of restoration. But it doesn't end there, and Jesus doesn't end there, and he does so intentionally because there's another person in this story who's in need of restoration. And that's where we see the older son. The older son hears this party. It was a big celebration. He hears the party, hears the dancing. Must have been some loud dancing. And he comes, and he has to find out what's going on. And they say his brother has come home, and his Response isn't celebration, but it's anger. Verse 28, it says, but he was angry and refused to go in, which is an interesting party, right? Because if you look at it, you have the younger son who's like, no, 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 dad, you don't have to do this for me. And then you have the older son who's like, wait, you're doing this for him? And so you have this exciting party, but neither one of the sons really wants to participate. So it's this interesting party, and the older son explains why he doesn't want in on this. He says, look, these many years, I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat, every boy's dream, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? Can't you just hear the bitterness in his voice as he says that? I mean, even just this son Have you ever done that with one of your siblings? They do something you're not proud of, and no longer are they your brother or sister. They're your parent's child. (laughs) Maybe you've said that. Like, that's your son. Do something about it. They're like, I'm pretty sure he's your brother, too. That's how it works, right? And this is what he does. He's bitter. He's angry. He's removing ownership of his brother. So here's what you notice. There's two lost sons in this story, not one. There's the older brother and the younger brother. The older brother stayed home, but he was far off from the heart of his father. He says, I've done all these things. Why am I not celebrated? Where's my ring? And listen, don't miss the irony of all this. As Jesus tells this story, the son who looked like he should have been out is in. The son who looked like he should have been in is now out. You see, the reality is your religion can make you just as lost as your rebellion. That on the surface, it seems like, no, no, there's a vast difference between the two stories, right? And there is in terms of consequence, but there isn't in terms of heart. That the older son had gotten lost in his religion and his self-righteousness and his judgment, And he's just as lost as the younger son and just in need of repentance. Some of you are in that place this morning. If you're honest, you say, well, I'm not that younger son. I can't really relate to that. But that older son, I mean, I do things. And if I'm honest, maybe I don't even say it out loud. But I do things and I think, but God, you owe me. Like, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to tithe. 
I'm gonna clean my life up. I'm not gonna sleep around. I'm gonna live a clean life. But God, you better fulfill your end of the bargain. You better give me some things in exchange for that. And if you're wondering, am I at that place, how you know is when things go bad in your life, where you go to God and you say, but God, look. But God, what about all these things I I did for you? Why would you give me this? Why would you not give me this? I mean, God, look at all I've done. If you've said those things, if you've done those things, you might be like the older brother and you're lost in your religion and self-righteousness. That's where he finds himself. If you're in that place, you need to know that that God pursues you as well, that God seeks after you and your lostness as well. Listen to how the father responds in this story. Verse 28, the father leaves the party. He entreats his son. He pleads with his son. Verse 31, he says to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine, it's yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother. This, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The son is saying, I did these things for your approval. And the father is saying, you already had it. Everything that is mine is yours. That God seeks all who are lost. It takes different forms. But God seeks all who are lost. And he wants to restore you to himself. And so as we look at this story, what what do we learn from it? Uh, There's a lot of things, but just two things I think we can sum it up. First one is the consequences of rebellion. The consequences are of rebellion. That some things were lost for this younger son, right? Like the inheritance, not gonna get that back. The time he missed with his father and his brother, can't get those things back. There's consequences to this rebellion. Some of you are in the midst of some rebellion, maybe you're coming out of some rebellion, and you think, well, one day I'll confess. One day I'll, I'll repent. And maybe you're thinking even now, and just like, I'm gonna tune this out because this is convicting and move on to lunch. And one day, though, one day I'll go to a camp. One day I'll be in the right church service. One day I'll look at the right scripture. One day, like, the holy angels are gonna come down before me. And then that day I'll repent. You need to know that the longer you wait, the more that you'll lose. That the longer you wait, the more that you'll lose. Will God forgive you in that moment? Yes. If you come to him in repentance and turn away from your sin, will God forgive you through Jesus Christ and his blood shed for you? Yes. But the longer you wait to do that, the more you're going to lose. There's consequences for your rebellion. There's consequences for your self-righteousness. And we need to come to a place today where we say, I confess, and I'm going to turn. So there's loss. But not everything is lost. There's hope for restoration. That's the second point. The celebration of restoration. There are really more than two sons in this story. There are three. Right? There's the son who wandered. There's the son who stayed. And there's the son of God who tells this story. The son of God who entered into human history who lived the life that you could never live, who died a death in your place, who shed his blood for you, who pursues you in the midst of your filth and your mess, and who invites you into a restoration with the Father. That's the third son. And because of his life and his sacrifice, 
on our behalf, we have the opportunity to be restored and celebrate over by the God of the universe. Do you think about that? That when you turn, you have the opportunity to be restored and celebrated by the God of the universe. That that opportunity is before you this morning. Do not wait. Come quickly to him. And so what do we do in closing? This won't be on the screen, but you can write these down. Two questions I want you to ask yourself as you go today. The first one is this. How are you prone to become lost? We talked about there's different kinds of being lost. Are you more like the younger brother in that you're rebellious going away from God and towards things like substances, sex, lies, Are you just full on running away from God or is it more discreet? Are you more like the older brother and you're caught up in your self-righteousness and your judgment? What is that for you this morning? How are you prone to become lost? Listen, the truth is that no matter what you've done, God loves you. You know that? No matter what you've done, God loves you, but also not because of what you've done. So as you're thinking about your life and there's all these things you've done, God loves you no matter what you've done. As you think about your life and you think of all these self-righteous things you've done and you got your list, God loves you not because of those things you've done. God loves you because he's your father and you're his child. And so where are you prone to become lost and forget that? And then what step in response to that do you need to take to return to the father? What step do you need to take to return to the father? How do you need to bear your need before God and turn to him. You need to know that when you do that, that there's a celebration, there's a party in heaven rejoicing over one that was lost is now found. One that was dead is now alive. Do that this morning. Repent of your self-righteousness, repent of your rebellion, and turn to God. Let's do that now as we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men and women in this room. I I thank you that you brought them here, that it's not an accident. And you brought them here so that they could assess in their life how they fit into this story that Jesus tells. How we are lost in some ways. And God, I, I pray that even now in this moment that we would respond that we would respond for ourselves. We wouldn't be thinking about that that friend we grew up with or that family member who's just gone off the rails. We would think about our own heart and how we go to other things for life void of you. And God, that we would respond in repentance, that we would realize that you're standing on a hill, that you're looking towards us even this morning in compassion and that you're running towards us to embrace us embrace us in the midst of our mess and you just ask that we turn to you. Father, may we not wait till the the perfect day or the perfect verse or the perfect church service to do that. May we do that now. May we respond to you in repentance now of our rebellion, of our self-righteousness. Help us as we respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.